I am very much looking forward to an interview with Jonathan Houston and Martin Ayev. It's about pinball. They're old friends, and I think it's going to be a very fun time. At last, the Steve Ritchie interview. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine, and I'm here with... I'm Martin Ayer, and I'm the editor of Pinball News, and we're here for this very special bonus podcast in which we get to speak at long last with Mr. Steve Ritchie. And for those not in the know, Steve Ritchie is a legendary pinball designer, um, having designed games from the early, sorry, from the late 70s, I would say, uh, starting at Atari, then moving to Williams, uh, doing hit games like Flash, uh, Black Knight. Terminator, uh, Tom, 2. Terminator 2, Tomcat uh, F14, right, and the list goes on and it on does. and on, yes, and uh, uh, he worked for Stern, did quite a few uh, few games for Stern, Terminator 3, comes to mind, World Poker Tour, Spider-Man, of course, uh, ACDC, Star, uh, Trek. Star Trek, Star Wars, and uh, most recently, uh, uh, the latest game that came out from him at Stern was uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, which is a game that we'll be discussing as well in, mm. uh, in yeah, this interview. Plenty to talk about there. Yeah. And um, so the interesting thing is, uh, as you might know, Steve Ritchie is currently working for Jersey Jack Pinball. Um, we were informed uh, by Steve himself uh, up front that he would be leaving Stern and uh, joining Jersey Jack Pinball. And ever since both Steve and us... Uh, so to speak, uh, have been looking to get into to, to, to get together and uh, and do an interview. And yeah. um, we met um, two weeks ago at the Texas Pinball Festival, and uh, that's where we basically finally set up the interview that you are about to listen to. Yes, and I think it's uh, it, it, it that time delay the uh, the eight months that he's been at Jersey Jack. Uh, helps our interview because we're able to give that perspective on his uh, on his experiences of working there now, rather than having just joined them as it would have been back in August. So he can he can he can and will, I'm sure, tell us about how it is working at Jersey Jack, how it compares to his previous experiences, and uh, what plans he has. Right. Yeah. I think um, it turned out to be a great interview. Obviously, uh, we're recording this after the fact that we already talked to Steve, so we know what's been discussed. And, uh, well, I suggest we don't let you wait any longer. And, yeah, uh, and, let's and hear let's... from the man himself. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so over, over to Steve. In August of last year, you joined Jersey Jack Pinball. I did. How did that happen? Can you, can you talk to us about that? Well, I just I started talking to Leonard Abbas and his family and uh, Brett and uh, just formed a relationship. Where I, I was looking to get out of Stern and um, I thought that Jersey Jack was uh, a very good opportunity um, to make games the way I like to make them. I, I know it sounds odd, but... That's that's how it happened, pretty much. We met for a, a, a couple of months, and there was another period in time in the past, like five years ago or six years ago, or we tried that also. But we'll go to we'll get into that later. Anyway, 
my relationship with um, Leonard and Brett is is great. Um, I report to Leonard, and uh, it, it's a, it's a nice connection. And he is he's a great guy. He's an incredible person. He's like so easy to talk to and get along with, and um, very down to earth. Right. Um, so was I mean, how long have you known Leonard and and Brett? About, I think it's about six years by now, six and a half years, something like that. The first time that I uh, tried to do, you know, tried to work with them, I ended up, I ended up getting cold feet, and um, I met met someone else that I just, I didn't think it would work out. Right. Okay. So th- that was around the time that they first um, became investors in Jersey Jack Pinball, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm not positive about when that happened. I haven't paid attention. I was busy with nose to the grindstone at Stern. <laughs> sure, sure. But so, so when you when you uh, spoke to to Leonard uh, this this uh, most recent time and worked out a deal to join Jersey Jack Pimble, what did they want you to do? What do they want you to bring to the company? Um, you know, they expect uh, good game designs. Um, you know, I'm helping any way I can uh, to bring uh, my knowledge to bear here. And there aren't many people here that have, you know, my experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm just helping wherever I can. And um, that's one of the requirements. I am, uh, you know, the first and foremost is a game design and, you know, and uh, whatever follows that. Right. So, would you say you're like a mentor for Eric and uh, uh, Mark Seiden? To some degree, yes. Because yeah, I th- but they've taught me stuff too. Mark has been like uh, uh, an apprentice to me. I have helped him um, start a design, but now he's on his own design and um, he's doing very well. Eric is Eric is extremely intelligent and um, very educated. He's, uh, there are just, there are things that he could never have possibly learned, you know, unless somebody told him from the old days at Williams or, uh, you know, or at Stern. So I'm helping him with that. He's helping me with other things, uh, parts. And, um, I will shortly be learning how to cut parts with a laser cutter and, uh, you know, sort of do my own, uh, stuff. I'm probably never going to be as good as he is at that, but. That's okay. I just want to learn and try. That's great. Now, uh, we wanted to interview originally with, uh, when you first joined Jersey Jack, uh, but it's it's good now that we can do it because you've had the experience of being there for well quite a few months. So, right. with with that knowledge, how would you sort of compare the way games are designed and built at Jersey Jack compared to at Williams? And also at Stern, it's more like Williams than Stern. It's there. We have a lot more creative freedom here than at Stern, and we have a larger bill of materials. And so, um, immediately that that's inviting to me. I just uh, I don't have to take things out of games right now, and I'm not I'm not going to be extremely extravagant with what goes into a game, but. You know, we, we want to make money, but I also want the game to be complete. And um, some of my games at Stern were not complete. The, that was not to my liking. 
And as far as the um, the people you're working with and um, design teams, you know, obviously when you were at Williams, there were you know, each game had its own design team, um, and, and presumably the same when you're at Stern. But Jersey Jack very much has a sort of all hands to the pump, everybody works on every game um, in sequence type of attitude at the moment. Is, is that something which is um, manageable going forward? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have teams now. I have you a do. team of people that, and they'll be working. I mean, they, they do other things while I'm making a drawing. They, they help wherever they can. But once I get a drawing and my whitewood built up, we will begin, you know, in earnest to make the game happen. So do, do you have your own mechanical engineer, your own software designer? I do. I have, a, I have my own mechanical engineer, and I have one, two... Three programmers uh, that will, you know, build the game when the time comes. So I do have a team, and it's good. And um, it took a while to make that happen, but it, it happened. Are you already in the position to talk about the at what stage you are with your uh, first design for Jersey Jack Pinball, or is that off limits? No, I can I can tell you. Uh, you know, I I built. The first whitewood, you know, I mean, I didn't build it. It was cut here. Inserts have been installed and it's, you know, it's ready to be built up. We're, uh, the next thing we're going to do is varnish the play field. I'm going to do that with um, a guy named Dan Lechek. He may be doing it himself. I don't know, but it'll happen any day. And then we can start amassing parts and building it up. So uh, for my understanding, does that mean that you're, uh, these days, as a designer, more doing the uh, uh, the cat work, so to speak, uh, a playfield will be cut and someone else is building it up, or are you still building the playfield once it's ready to be built up yourself? No, I, I always help build the playfield, usually with a guy in a lab. You know, we, we put it together, fuck, scrounge parts up, because uh, and, and wait for parts to come in that have to be made outside. Um, I never do it alone. I always do it with with someone else, and, uh, and sometimes two people. So that's going to be. I'm excited about that. It's fun. It's like normally I have like an 85% yield when I finish a first drawing, something like that, which means that you know I'll have to fix 15% of the game or change it. What I do is I build up the white wood, and as soon as it's hot and all the solenoids and everything work, I don't care about lights at this point. Um, as soon as I make it work and play it, as soon as I find problems, he, I mean, one or two days later, I will begin ripping into it to fix it and change whatever doesn't work. And that, that's kind of shocking for some people, but, and then I'll begin a new whitewood and transfer the parts that I can use in the, from that game to the next whitewood. Um, it's not a very expensive process here. It might be a bit of a odd question to ask, but are you enjoying yourself right now better than you were at Stern or Williams? Uh, actually, I'm enjoying myself much more here. This is the best company I ever worked for. As far as the people go and, um, well, everybody from Leonard on down, is um, they're good people and we just get along and I'm going to do everything I can to make uh, Jersey Jack successful. comes from the heart. These people are great. Well, you've uh, you've certainly got some experience of of, uh, of building up companies um, and making them highly successful. If we if we go all the way back to um, when you when you first started working for Stern and uh, did the the Spider Man game, 
which uh, was a huge success. And um, I don't know whether it was the biggest seller, but must be one of the biggest sellers that they, they ever had. That was that was back when you were Steve Ritchie Productions and you were uh, on contract to Stern. How was, was the, how did that how was that different from as being a contractor to actually being a, an employee? Was it was it easier? Was it harder? Or was it basically the same? What I liked about it was I could live in California and uh, and work at home for two or three weeks, and then I would come to Stern for two or three weeks. It meant a lot of travel, but. It worked great. I mean, we, we, I guess I did that for like six years. Um, and then, well, in 2008, I got fired. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about what happened then? I just got a call one day in 2008, I think it was October, and at home in Illinois. And, and I found out that myself and most of the people at Stern were fired. I think the company was about to die. I know why, but I'm not going to speak about it. Uh, it was a sad time. I was out of work for 28 months. And a tough time for you. You ended up selling an awful lot of uh, of your own personal games and, and uh, memorabilia. I did. I had to because, you know, I have a wife to take care of. It's like, also, I mean, when 2008 hit, I owned a house worth about, well, in 2007, it was worth $957,000. And boy, do I wish I would have sold it. I ended up ended up selling it for about $30,000 more than what I paid for it. So I walked away with not much. So that really affected everything. Burned off my savings, whatever. It was a sad time. It was, uh, but I have to say, um, you were sort of at the forefront, really, I think, of developing um, add-ons and mods for games with the the, uh, the side rails and the and the various extra parts that you were selling for your games through through your company at that time and through your web store. Right, I did some manufacturing, mm. but uh, now I did what I could. Nobody in California wanted a person that was fifty-nine or sixty years old. I mean, it was just like. I could not even find a job as a UPS driver. Uh, but one of the reasons was I was very far from like a, you know, a major city, 50 mm. miles away. And that was a problem. But I, I went to a few interviews and I, you know, I could have worked for like um, a slot machine company. I looked for work there also, but they didn't hire me. And uh, I don't know. It was a bad time. We need to talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about the happier times of, of, of when you were rehired and, and, and came back to make the amazing uh, ACDC. Yeah, it was a great time. That's uh, Dave Peterson had come to Stern, and um, he had a much more global view than Gary, and he said to me, make the game you want to make. Um, that kind of changed over the years, but at that time, there was a decent bill of materials to work with. Lyman and I were both you know, hot to make it happen, and um, and we did our best work. And we, we also did a very important thing that everybody should do. Not all designers do it. Some people just, some designers just go, I'm going to make a game. And when I'm done drawing it, I'll pass it on to programmers. But I think it's much better when, like, if Lyman and I would sit down and talk about the whole play field and all the features we wanted to have on it and how it tied into the songs and, um, you know, music and a 
just an ambiance, you know, that we want to develop. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was also, you know, it turned out to be a very good game and, and Stern's bestseller. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, that was that was a, um, a sort of a working practice, I guess, which you've wanted to continue. You know, being so so closely involved with the with the software developer, and, and I guess the mechanical engineer as well, right from the very yes. start. Right. It's a much better way to do it. That's how I'm doing it here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have one in my office. They're looking at my drawing, and we are talking about things, you know, a few times a week. You mentioned on ACDC you could basically make the game that you uh, that you wanted to make. Uh, was ACDC your first pick for a license uh, when you came back? Yeah, I mean, it was the first. It was the first game that I did when I came back. Yes. Right, but and was it? Was, uh, sorry. Was the uh, was the theme ACDC? Was it like if I can do anything I want, I want to do ACDC, or were was this one of the options that you had to choose from? It was meant to be ACDC from the very beginning. Gary Gary Stern is very into rock and roll. It's like you know we've had some good times at concerts and stuff, and uh, you know he he loves ACDC. So we went to New York to get the license from his manager, and it was like. There was the only rule was don't include or bring up or use the reference to Bon Scott, who's been dead for like 35 years. It's like I can't believe that you know uh, that people still complain about Brian because he's such a good he's a great vocalist. I mean he was then. I I don't know about now. I think he's retired, but you know yeah. he's done a great job. So I love the. You know, that was the only thing, and they gave us, like, a hard drive filled with every picture probably taken, you know, official photograph and all this other stuff. It, it was great material, and they didn't really, you know, they looked at our play field, but they just approved everything. <laughs> well, that must be a nice experience to have, and uh, and probably not one that's repeated too many times when dealing right, with live officials. The only other one that compared to that is Terminator 2 with going to meet uh, James Cameron. Anyway, we went to Lightstorm Productions for T2, and uh, we were building a video game at the same time at Williams. And uh, so we got we got daily videos. Whatever they shot the day before, we would get the next day on uh, cassettes, you know. Um, and just all kinds of stuff. They loaned us the chip. They loaned us the uh, Terminator arm inside a glass tube and uh, skulls. We had to give them back, but it was just amazing the access that we had. And but but that that license was uh, was one of the probably one of the last ones where you were bringing out a a movie based pinball or a pinball company was bringing out a movie based pinball to tie in with the launch of the That's movie. right. We we were in the theaters with the games on the day it opened, which was July the fourth, nineteen ninety three, maybe. Not positive of the year. 92, I think. Yeah, 92. But we were in the theaters with machines, even at the um, um, the grand opening, I guess they call it. Does that put an awful lot of pressure on you to get to make sure the game is ready in time for that? Yeah, but it's good pressure. It's good pressure because you got to rock and roll. You have to stay busy and make it happen. And everybody in the you know on the team knew that, and uh, it was fun. Just a lot of fun. 
Now, obviously, you, you've had to deal with. I mean, that was a great that was a great license, and you and you've done some great licenses um, since, including ACDC and Spider Man. But you also had to deal with some, shall we say, less great licenses or themes. Themes and uh, licenses you you weren't you know, particularly keen on on working on. It was difficult to work with um, the combination of uh, Lucasfilm and uh, Disney later, because right in the middle of the Star Wars game, they you know they purchased um, Lucasfilm. So mm, that's uh, right. Yeah. I ended up, you know, running, we all did, we all ended up, you know, waiting a long time for approvals, and there were, you know, 27 different art, you know, panes, I'll say, mm -hmm. you know, three fronts of the cabinet, three sets of sides, that's a total of six sides of the cabinet, and, the, you know, another six of the back box, and three back glasses, two plastic sets, and two play fields. So it's it's a lot of stuff. Uh, anyway, it just took a long time. I'm not ups, I'm not upset about how it came out. It turned out okay. Um, it was just it was kind of grief, <laughs> a kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was, but you've also had to, um, some licenses. I mean, it was a good. Obviously, Star Wars and anything related to that is a is a, almost a classic pinball license now because there have been so many Star Wars based games. But you also had to deal with with other less obvious um, or less suitable uh, licenses and themes for games like uh, poker, for instance. Yeah, poker. <laughs> <laughs> Texas Hold'em in particular, and uh, yeah. that, that must have been a, a tough one to to turn into a game. It was. It was. Uh, well, Gary and uh, Michael Donald brought me into an office. And they said, we want you to do, you know, a poker game. And I go, I can't believe you're asking me that. We haven't had a poker game or any kind of card game for 30 years. And it's like, there's a good reason. And I, I just didn't understand how they could want it so bad. And, and they, but they said, we have a great license, World Poker Tour. I said, I really don't want to do it because I don't think it'll be successful. And they said, we want you to do it or... You're not going to work here. Okay. That's tough. I, I did it. And, um, you know, looking back, Keith Johnson did a great job. You know, and I'm not ashamed of the play field at all. I mean, it's got everything but the kitchen sink on it. And uh, it plays nice. It's fun. It's just that, you know, I think we made like 1,500 of those games. It just wasn't a good seller. Uh, and, and you could play poker on it. I mean, you really could. It, it, I would say Keith included every nuance of Texas Hold'em uh, poker. Mm. Every, oh. Even the name of the cards, you know, that they used. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you think you'd get away with putting that many drop targets in the game? No one stopped me. And so I did it. You know, I just... I did it because, well, there was a lot of cards there. And not, we could make hands out of them, and that, that was the, the coolest thing. Yeah. I also like playing up on the top play field, you know, the ace in the hole unit and the thing that captures the, captures the ball. That's fun. And, uh, yeah, it was a loser theme, though. And I think uh, after that, they, they thought, you know, maybe the designers should like what they're doing as they work on a game. And uh, it 
if I can't believe that it's going to be a big hit, it's just, you know, I have to believe that from the very beginning. I have to, because that's what I want. I want that. I want a game to be great. And if it isn't just, it doesn't sell. I mean, um, you know, I'm, okay. I, I'm disappointed when that happens. Tapping into that, obviously when you started in the business, games had original themes at Williams later on licenses were introduced at this point would you still have the same pleasure in working on a non-licensed game than on a licensed game where you really like the property you know it's 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 great to have like like black knight sort of rage that that game was it's kind of a license but not really i didn't have to get approvals from anyone you know like Matt Cristiano and Rick are my friends at Planetary Pinball, and they had the license, and so we just got along, and um, it turned out very well. Anyway, it's, what is it? I, myself, do not, I think, I think a pinball machine needs a license these days to connect, because, you know, people have favorite movies, favorite bands, you know, they just have, it's, it's not just about movies and bands, but that's most of them. Um, it's good to have that to connect with. I, you know, I have one coming up that I can't wait to get started on. And, um, but it's going to be a while. Do you think that with modern games requiring so much in the way of multimedia, video, audio, music, that creating a, an unlicensed game is, is just not practical. You need all those assets to be provided, or at least some of them, to be provided to you to get to get the story and to give you video clips and sound calls and and music tracks in order to build the game. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, yeah, all that stuff is available usually when we get a license, and it, it is good. It, it makes it a little easier on the team. If we can't get stuff, then we have to make stuff up. The art, artwork on uh, on Black Knight, for instance, yeah. I. I love it. It's great. It was done by uh, a great a great team of people, and uh, but a large team of people. But they also like the freedom. They like the freedom. I didn't create those characters. They did, um, and so it's. I don't know. That part's beautiful. We had we had good music. Um, some people thought it was like unrelenting. <laughs> There's an alternate set of tunes in the game, though, that very few people know about, but you can play it. It's a little more mellow. But myself, I like all the adrenaline that music um, produces. I just do when I play the game. Well, that does just bring us on, I guess, to uh, to the question of, uh, of the Led Zeppelin game, because we're talking about great music and lots of assets and um, exactly how that turned out. And I think it's no no secret that you weren't entirely happy with the way the process went in, in making that game and, and, and getting what you wanted into it. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. Kind of depressing. Um, I chose a bunch of songs and um, uh, some other people grabbed a couple songs and, and traded them out. And the two I wanted to get on the game were Heartbreaker and Stairway to Heaven, and they just wouldn't give them to me. And I could not imagine, I don't think anybody could imagine a Let's Open game without Stairway to Heaven. I I don't even know how I would have played it, but I had a, um, a Stairway to Heaven mechanism in mind, and I wanted to build that, and 
I was not allowed to, and I just, you know, it's a big cloud hanging over the game. We did the best we could with it, but I, I just, you know, I was disappointed that they didn't get the rest of the license. And, and that's just, that's not going to be a problem here. When, when Jersey Jack gets a license, it is incredibly complete, or we don't do it. That's it. Were you a big fan of, of Led Zeppelin going into the uh, into the design process? Of course, I I loved it. Everybody wanted it for years and years. I wanted it, you know, while I was at Atari. Okay, that long ago, I saw them. I saw Led Zeppelin like three times in my life. One time from the second row at the Berkeley Community Theater, and it was just they're an incredible band. They changed music forever in kind of a, you know, you know, you know the history or. You're not as old as me, but nearly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I wanted it badly, and I wanted to make it, you know, the way a game should be made. It was no secret that John Borg wanted to do a Led Zeppelin game for a very long time. And when Stern goes after the license, then you get it. Did that create any tension, or was it okay with everybody? I don't know. John showed no disappointment. One of us was going to get it. I, you know, like I said, every designer would have loved to have that license. Of, well, persons of let's say my age or merely, you know, we, you know, John Borg did Rush recently, and it's like, you know, music is nice. I remember them too. It's it's just it's just uh, you know, I I don't know if he was angry or not, but he got mine, which was turtles. <laughs> no, no, I've never seen turtles. Uh, uh, unless somebody said, "Okay, we're going to fire you if you don't do it," <laughs> then I might do it. Okay, it would be hard for me to get my heart into that. Anyway, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I asked for that, so he got that. I got Led Zeppelin. Uh, are you glad that you got Led Zeppelin and he got Guardians? I guess. I mean, really, not in the way that we, you know. Not in terms of assets. I don't think either of us got a lot of assets from either title. But it was, I don't know. So would you say then that um, your experience of doing Led Zeppelin and the disappointment that you had with that, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back and you decided that now was the time to make a, to make a move? Well... Yeah, I mean, I was saying to myself, you know, no stairway to heaven, no Stern, no Steve, bye. But I didn't leave right then. I had an obligation to develop another game, so I left them two Whitewoods, a Pro and a Premium LE. Right, and um, do you know what's what's happening to, to that game which you left behind? I, I guess you can't really talk about the license I have to no it. idea. I have no idea what's going on there with it. Not a word. Okay. Um, now let's um, go back to something I was talking about a little earlier, which was um, well, first of all, Spider-Man, and and um, and of course, then ACDC, and those were hugely successful games, which probably saved the company. And they were amazing collaborations between yourself and Lyman, Lyman Sheets. Can you give us a little sort of insight into the, the process that, that you go through or went through when you were working with those on, on those games with Lyman and um, the sort of relationship that the two of you had? 
Yeah, I mean, we had a great relationship. He was a good friend of mine, and you know, it's sad what happened. I miss him very much. A lot of people do, and um, you know, he made some great stuff. And um, I would say, I would say he's probably the most. Um, I think people like his rules, and you'll see other programmers incorporating them games he he created some stuff very you know very groundbreaking and it's been used since then by other other games and programs and programmers i'm sorry um you know he's made a mark that's incredible anyway with acdc we had um like i said every everything we wanted and uh so we built the we, we built the game with you know i don't know with passion that's it you know like we're not Nothing was holding us back, and it was great. And in between, I really think that um, the reason that big building of Stern over there exists is because of three games. Really, I think I think it was ACDC, I think, and Star Trek, um, and Metallica. Those three games made it possible for them to advance. You're now working at uh, at Jersey Jack with new programmers. Are you trying to create that same interaction that you had with Lyman, also with them, to get to the game that you wanted to be? Absolutely, it's like uh, it's fun. I am, uh, like I said, I'm talking with three programmers. One programmer will be the lead programmer, and he is a gifted guy with tools and, uh, I'm sorry, rules, not tools. He's good with tools too, though. He's uh, developed a very nice. Uh, Graphic equalizer. We are. It's it's a cool advance. Um, yes, I, I'm very happy to work with them. I knew the other guys too. JT was a guy I didn't know. Um, Duncan Brown is one of the programmers, and we're all friends. He's sort of a pinball historian, and you know, mm -hmm. an outrageously good programmer. And Bill Grupp also, same a great programmer, and we've been friends for years. Worked together at Williams, maybe not on the same games. You know, I don't have Keith. Keith is working with uh, someone else, and so that's okay. Uh, but, you know, I called him in, let him look at my game, tell me what he thinks. I like this. You know, I like all of that. But people with uh, a lot of pinball experience are going to give me um, better information than someone who doesn't know what they're playing or looking at. You know what I mean? Okay. I mean, everybody here knows what they're looking at as far as pinball goes, but... About, about designing one, maybe not. When you started in the industry, it was very common that games would be put on test. So uh, uh, you could see how they performed, what the earnings were, but also if there were any uh, issues uh, when they were being played in the wild. I think it was probably with World Poker Tour, that was probably the last game that went on test. And after that, it was games weren't put out on test anymore. Is that something you'd like to get back to, to, to put games in the wild and see how they perform when other people play them, or do you miss that's, it? Okay, that situation is not true at all here. We have games out on test, and um, the uh, you know they, they choose a couple of locations that we can go visit and see what's going on, and they're in contact with us telling us if anything is wrong. And um, I'm going to use those locations for my game also. 
So I'm I'm glad to see that Stern didn't do too much of that, at, uh, you know, in the later years. So yeah, we're we're testing because it's a good thing to do. Also, life testing. You know, we make a device, we stick it on a on a rack, power it up, and make it just repeat its action over and over and over again until it breaks, or till we find out that it's going to be, you know, um, a strong device that'll work over a long period of time and many cycles. I like a million cycles on things that I make. You know, like, like the dragon for uh, uh, Game of Thrones. It's for all I know, it's still on test in the game room there, just flapping its wings like this and. Black Knight heads that are doing this, you know, and the lights are going and all this. They're probably still there. I don't know, though. I haven't been there in, what, eight months or seven months. And, and picking up a point that Jonathan just made, when you started, it, the industry was very much more about how much a game would earn on location. Now Absolutely. it's... Now it seems to be a lot more focused on home sales and earnings are less important. Is that something which influences your design, your design decisions when, when creating a game? I'm always going to look at earnings when we put them out on tests. You have to. I just, I, uh, there is less of that, no doubt, because uh, enthusiast purchases, they, if they want a theme, they'll just buy it. And uh, I, I, uh, I don't know how they could make a decision like that, but they do. And, um, you know, I'm grateful because the pinball business is doing extremely well right now. But you always have to wonder, how long will this last? How long will it last? Because pinball has been like this over the years. It has, but um, but you've been there a long, a long time. And you're not the only one, of course, uh, when you when you joined Jersey Jack Pinball, you um, Pat Lawler was there um, to meet you and greet you uh, as you came into the building for the first time. How is it um, working in the same building and uh, for the same company as Pat after all these years? Because you were, you were obviously back at Williams and you were, you were both working as contractors at Stern for a while. So yes. your, your paths cross a lot. We're getting along great. We, uh, you know, we have fun just talking. You know, we're like the two geezers of the pinball world. In this building and uh you know we're, i think we are the oldest people in the whole company but you know we have a wealth of experience and you know past done a great job you know making things happen here it's a you know the, the play field line um between him and bill grupp and uh michael j fox looks a lot like williams and it's way more flexible than any line i've ever seen before it's so great because at any point on the line you can flip the play field upside down because they're all on rotisseries from the very beginning. You can rotate them, move it around so the part you need to put on is easier to get to. And they can be slid down the rollers and it's uh, you know, it's ideal for uh, you know, catching a mistake, for instance. And, uh, and then you can just back up, flip them all over and fix them in mass if there's a problem with somebody not doing something right. Anyway, that's been... That's been pretty helpful to me, too. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it, we're getting along. It's great. And I think it's much better than people thought. Well, we're both older. We're not in competition, really. It's like, it's just, it's just fun to talk about the old days. And he reminds me of things that I forgot. And I remind him of things that he forgot. And so, I don't know. It's been interesting. He's looking, he looks right next door. 
right over there. Right, Eric is over there. And when you when you joined JJP, uh, was it was it important that you were reporting directly to Leonard? Um, yeah, you know, it's like I want to know what he wants from me, and I, I do. It's very clear, and I, you know, I'm I'm going to deliver a good product and uh, for him, and I just yeah, for the company. I I want the company to succeed, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it succeed. Which brings me to the question, how do you see the future of pinball? You just indicated it sort of goes in a, a wave up and down all the right. time. You, but, but You guys have been alive during these periods. Right. You've seen it happen. And it's like, you know, I think it's it's super strong right now you know, for everybody in the business. All companies are selling pinball machines and that make them. And, um, you know, I just... I'm a little gun shy because of the past, you know. I just wonder how long. I'm not indicating that it's going to, you know, drop, drop, uh, you know, that the sales are going to go away one day. I am not predicting that. I have, you know, I don't even want to think about that. It's been really great, and I hope it continues to be. Does it surprise you how popular pinball is now, given the the huge number of different types of entertainment available, both in the home and, and out of the home? That the pinball has come back and become so popular, both on location and for a home purchase. It has, and it's it's amazing. You know, the enthusiast market and collectors is it seems to be endless. They all want new games. I I think pinball machines also have become like a status symbol, at least in the United States. You have one or two, and uh, or maybe a whole game game room full, and. I think that's part of what drives it. I think another part is the pandemic. You, had, you know, people wanted pinball machines to play. They wanted to simulate being at an arcade or, you know, just playing uh, uh, in competition. And uh, I don't know. I think we sold a lot of games because people were bored at home. Uh, but, the, but that number of, of games is not coming down, even though the pandemic is mostly over here. I don't know how it is in Europe. But... Uh, and... Uh with the game that you're designing there at, at Jersey Jack, I'm guessing there is there are quite a few games in front of that waiting to be produced. Um, how does how, does that give you a a, um, a sort of a freedom, not having a big time pressure on to keep the line rolling? Or oh, I have time pressure, and there's only there's only one game ahead of me, so it's like it's uh, things are going to pick up and start moving faster here because we have to. We have to. We want to. We want to, you know, get the best factory yield we can, and um, that's. This is an opportunity to do that to sell maximum amount of games. In terms of design, do you think we've seen the limits that we can put on pinball in terms of what we what you can put inside a cabinet, or do you think that there will be some creative mind that comes up with a way to put pinball in a different type of cabinet and all of a sudden a whole new array of options becomes available? Um, I think it is limitless. I have some new devices never before seen on this game and um, I'm excited about them. They'll, there'll be more probably, but you know, it's, um, I'll know when I get my white wood working. Um, yeah, I, I do not see limitations with anything. As long as we are creative and thinking about You know, with me, it's how the ball moves. You know, that's that's the most important thing, how it feels to make a shot. I look for satisfaction. I want to feel 
like I, I did something good and I want the game to respond smoothly and, uh, you know, uh, and I want it to be rowdy. I want it to be a mechanical action pinball machine. Um, I want, you know, I want great music. I want, I want, I want a lot of stuff, great artwork. And um, I think we're going to achieve that here. And uh, I have to ask, do you, do you intend to keep designing games um, forever? Or um, do you see, could, could you imagine, for instance, that you would be in charge of game design at Jersey Jack Pinball and would, would have a more managerial role rather than actual um, game de uh, designing games yourself? I don't, I don't see that. I see myself designing games because I really enjoy it. You know, it's a passion and that's how it is. I, I could retire, but I don't want to. Um, I think it's, I think it's good to have a job to go to every day. Um, one of my good friends, Larry Damar, I, I spoke to him on the phone yesterday. It was kind of breakthrough, but I had brand new hearing aids on that pump the phone directly into my, I haven't heard his voice in a long time. So, I talked to him for a while, found out that, you know, he retired, he sold his company, but he didn't retire. He's working again <laughs> because he can't sit still. It's not healthy to sit still, just not. We look forward to, to seeing much more uh, Steve Ritchie designs come into uh, production and, uh, and on location and into people's homes, of course. Um, I think we're about to round this up unless Martin has some more uh, uh, questions he would like to ask. No, I was just gonna, uh, just on a, a sort of fairly random basis. I was just going to ask if you miss um, the Chicago, the um, California weather. Now you're living in Chicago, and uh, would would could you ever see yourself re retiring to uh, back to California again? I could, but I don't really know if it's a real thing. <laughs> I mean, the weather here sucks, <laughs> just does, and um, I would like to go back to California, but there's no pinball there. You know, pinball is all right here. We're back to three companies in the Chicago land area, and it's uh, um, you know, it's a great thing. Yes, it's a great thing, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> I want to make pinball machines. You mentioned three pinball games, uh, pinball companies in the Chicago land area. Uh, yes. Obviously, there are. Smaller companies outside the Chicagoland area also building pinball machines. Yes. Do you look at the competition? Do you play their games? Do you? Uh, um, what do you think of them? Do you think that or they should have done this or they should have improved that this way or how do you look at those games? Well, coming back from the Texas Pinball Festival, I definitely enjoyed playing uh, Ultraman. Uh, it took me two games to get to the upper level, but it was fun and um, interesting. I don't have, you know, I have no idea what it sounds like. It was just so loud there, and I'm wearing hearing aids and amplifying this din, D-I-N. You know that word, right? Okay, so, you know, it's just, <laughs> that's what it sounds like when I'm playing a pinball machine. Anyway, I enjoyed that game. I enjoyed um, Aliens. Pretty nice. Uh, the only thing I think is strange about it is you can have the dark one where you can't see the ball, but if you pay a little more, you can see the ball. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. Yeah, but, you know, I managed to play it, uh, the dark one and the lit one. And it's it's a decent game, no doubt. I like their, their video footage and, 
you know, it's interesting. That's it. Uh, they are competition, but I don't know if they're building as many games a day as we are, or Stern is, or even American pinball. I don't know. I suppose this round two up. Yeah, I think so. Thank you very much indeed, Steve. I think that was uh, that was great. It was great to talk to you guys. I had a good time. So I look forward to doing it in the future. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, indeed. Steve Ritchie, legendary pinball designer. Fantastic. Thank you, Steve, for taking the time out to, to speak to us at, uh, at long last. I'm glad we, we, uh, we had that perspective of time from his experience of working at, at JGP and uh, obviously an awful lot of excitement uh, in, uh, in the game that he's working on at the moment and, uh, and, and the other games he will be developing into the future. Right, yeah, and um, I'm I'm really happy to hear that he is uh, currently in a very good spot and very happy, or at the best place that he worked so far. So yeah. good for him, absolutely. So thanks, thanks again, Steve, and we hope you enjoyed this uh, this special bonus podcast, our interview with Steve. And uh, we will be back as usual at the beginning of next month with our regular pinball, pinball industry news pincast. Right, which is a recap of the pinball news of uh, the previous month, which would be, in this case, April. And uh, while we're at it, let me also remind you that both Martin and I have our uh, respected, uh, respective websites. Uh, for Martin, that is pinballnews.com, where you find the latest pinball news, as the title might uh, suggest. <laughs> And uh, as editor of Pinball Magazine, I'd like you to um, to visit pinball-magazine.com and um, and also uh, sign up for your uh, your very informative uh, monthly newsletter. Yes, which, which uh, is uh, completely free and usually goes out uh, after we recorded our podcast and uh, includes a link to our pincast, I should say, and. Um, uh, well, if you'd be uh, interested in receiving that uh, that free on a monthly basis, um, no spam or whatsoever, just one email a month uh, with, with the recap of the Pinball Industry News of the previous month, then go to pinball-magazine.com. And as I say, we'll be back at the beginning of May to look back on the month of April, and there'll be a lot of, uh, lot of exciting news, I think, uh, coming up this month, so... Don't miss that. And uh, thank you again for listening to this bonus podcast or, uh, with our interview with Steve. So uh, until we speak again, uh, this is uh, Martin, and I'll wish you a, uh, a very happy rest of the month. And this is Jonathan, and I wish you the same.